Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was married for 30 years in that relationship for 32, and we didn't find out we were a neurodiverse couple until our 29th year of marriage. And I've been divorced almost five years now, and together we have an amazing adult daughter who's thriving and doing fantastic. And today I am so excited to have a wonderful neurodiverse couple on the podcast, and I want to welcome Kevin and Shauna Meek. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. I'm so excited about our conversation. We are too. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, I know there's so many issues we're going to talk about today, so I just want to tell folks you know, get a cup of coffee, relax, because we're going to talk about almost everything that you probably have a question about related to, you know, unknown neurodiversity in a marriage and how that kind of plays out. And so first we want to talk about the difference since the diagnosis, because this is a big one. And I'd love if you guys could share how long you've been together too, because I know that's going to be very helpful for the audience to know. Yeah, you bet. Um, So we have a unique story. We have been married twice to one another. Uh, We were married three years and then we were divorced three years and we've been married, we kind of have to base it on our kids' ages. <laughs> so, let's see, coming up actually on 20 years of our second marriage together. So we just kind of added up. Anniversaries are kind of a funny thing over here. So <laughs> yeah. we just added up. So about 23. Okay. Total. Awesome. And you didn't find out, you didn't divorce because you found out that you were a neurodiverse couple. So can you tell folks a little bit about maybe the discovery and and then what has changed since the diagnosis? Yeah, do you want me to start and then you fill in? Sure. Okay. Um, so it was in the fall of last year that um, we were both uh, 50. We both turned 50 back in 2022. And um, we had a very tough day. (laughs) Let me just put it that way. We had a very tough day. Um, It resulted in some time um, in an in-house separation. And during that time, I was listening to a podcast uh, myself. And as I heard this, like everything clicked for me. And ding, 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 right? All the bells went off. And I thought, where has this been? Where has this information been? Our entire marriage um, or marriages. And um, we were kind of in a funny time where it wasn't, you know, we were minimally communicating. And so I really sat back and thought, how much of this do I share with Kevin? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I approach this? Cause Oh my goodness, is there something else? Um, so he had been taking, he was going to take the next day off work and just get, I'll let you speak to that is mind around some things. And I just said, Hey, uh, I heard a podcast. Would you be willing to hear it? And he said, yes. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Thank yeah, you, I'm- Kevin, for being open. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Shauna. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, for me, as Shauna said, it was kind of like, um, you know, kind of felt like I got to my end of my rope um, mm-hmm. in, in trying to find things that would be helpful for us. Um, you know, we both desperately desired this deeper connection and communication and intimacy in our relationship. And it was just um, just really distant for us for for a long time. And um, everything kind of just came to a head and, and, you know, I now look back and see that as my full, you know, autistic meltdown, um, mm-hmm. and realized that, you know, I just, I couldn't keep going the way that we were going. And so I was, I was open to listening to it. Um, Shauna has suggested podcasts, uh, in the past to me on a variety of things. And, um, so I was kind of like, well, you know, here's my, coach wife trying to (laughs) diagnose me again. Um, But I was at a a shopping uh, store and started listening to the podcast around um, neurodiversity and specifically autism. 
and um, I couldn't get out of the store. Um, oh. I um, had to sit down and I was just bawling. Um, it, it hit me to the core and it was, it, it spoke exactly to the struggles that, uh, that I had experienced basically for my entire life. Wow. I'm tearing up. Yeah. I'm, I'm tearing up. Thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I remember when I started sharing stuff with my ex-husband, it, it was crystal clear to me, like it was for you, Shauna. And then I was sending him articles and I was sending him clips from YouTube videos. And I think it was overwhelming him. Shauna, good for you that you just sent one podcast. Do not <laughs> overwhelm your partner with information. If you're right? a neurotypical partner, right. And, you know, as he was reading it, he would say things to me like, okay, did I do this because of being on the spectrum or is this, and you know, we were calling it Asperger's at the time. Is this Asperger's? And I'd be like, yeah, you know, we could talk about it, but you know, it, it just makes such a difference when you understand the neurological differences that have been creating so much unintentional pain and hurt. So let's, Shauna, let's talk mm -hmm. about one or two of the things that are different since, and Kevin, remind me, did you get a formal diagnosis or was it self-identification? I did. Yes. Okay. So um, I'm, I'm a registered nurse by background. And so you know, that clinical diagnosis and having something definitive was really important for me to, to, I, I think also as a part of our story for so many times over the past, you know, decades was, was trying to self-diagnose, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe it's this and maybe it's that. And you know what, I think it's this. And, right. and so it was really important to, to have um, a clinical neuropsych eval done so that I could actually say, okay, now I know what it is. Wow. Yeah. It's so, I, I, I can't tell you how many people who actually go through the formal evaluation, even in their fifties and sixties and seventies, the relief is immense. It's so immense to have somebody tell you, yeah, this is what you've been all your life. And this is why you've struggled in so many areas. So, Thank you for sharing that because I know the listeners always want to know, did they get a formal evaluation or they just self-identify, which is just as important. So Shauna, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about what you feel are the biggest differences because it hasn't really even been a year, has it? No. Yeah. We were actually just talking about that before we got on. It's been almost exactly four months. Mm. Um, so yeah. It doesn't seem possible, truly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and I think some of the biggest, you know, things for me was I was very welcoming of the diagnosis. Um, I was, I think, ready for mm -hmm. it. Um, I was ready for some answers. Um, and, you know, we can share a little bit more of our story, but um, of why I was so welcoming of that in our own kind of recovery personally. But I think that if I were to say like two things that were the biggest um, measures or positives of the diagnosis were being able to accept the inconsistencies mm. that I see and have seen in Kevin. So for example, he could show up and show empathy in certain times. And then other times I would say something or something would happen. And I'd be like, where'd the empathy go? Yeah. Um, and so it was very inconsistent at times. Um, and the unmasking was mm. so welcomed. That was probably the second thing is the unmasking of, I had said for so long, no matter what it is, like, I just want to know. I just want the information so we know how to work together with it. And so I felt like this allowed for unmasking for him because he had been trying to fit into a very neurotypical world yeah. for his whole life, come to know. So those yeah. were the biggest two things. Both of those, I mean, I know I've heard from so many autistic partners when they hear about the unmasking piece that a partner is a safe place 
to mm-hmm. unmask and that that makes all the difference in the world. So mm-hmm. um, thank you for sharing that. And then the inconsistency piece, you know, I want listeners to know, and I repeat this oftentimes, it doesn't have anything to do with love. It has mm-hmm. to do with, is your partner, you know, feeling some burnout? Have they been experiencing sensory overload and they don't know it? You know, are they on, um, are they in a period where they need time alone and they're rejecting you, but you don't know they need that time alone because they just went through five Zoom meetings at work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, understanding the neurological differences can change how you deal with the inconsistencies. So thank you, Shauna, so much for that. What about you, Kevin? What do you think is different for you and in your relationship since the diagnosis? Yeah, you know, I think that um, when you go 50 years of your life not knowing, you know, so many things that that you experience and, and you don't know the why, um, you know, the the whole masking and coping of, of autism, you know, when I did some of the assessments originally, you know, my, my scores for autism were high, but my scores for masking and, and coping were off the chart, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, that really just came from just years of me trying to, to fit in. And, and I think a diagnosis gave me the ability where I was really no longer trying to shove a square peg in a round hole yeah. um, and was really just able to focus on the differences and the diversity and how to, to work on those differences and how to focus on the things that could be changed um, and not trying to change things that can't be changed. Yeah, I think that's, that is so critical. And I know, you know, so many couples, they, this is what goes through their minds. And this may have been your experience too. What a difference it would have made in my partner's life, or it would have made in my life and it would have made in our relationship because, you know, when you look back, you were married for three years, four years into my marriage, I wanted to divorce my ex-husband, but we didn't divorce. And now I look back and I think about the reasons why, and oh my gosh, if we had known it would have been so different. We may have divorced, but we wouldn't have experienced so much pain. We may have stayed together and been a lot healthier as a couple, but yeah, thank you both for, for sharing that. And I think all of that's going to be really helpful for other folks to know that they're not alone in feeling those things. So let's talk a little bit about before diagnosis. And I talk about this a lot on my Instagram page and somewhat in the podcast, you know, the impact of unknown neurodiversity. So what do you think, and we'll start with Kevin this time. Kevin, what do you think was the hardest part about not knowing all those years now that you know? I think the I think the hardest thing for me not knowing was was really just um, the, the the fight to try and be neurotypical or the tra- the fight to be normal, and and through that fight, I you know I caused a lot of damage and a lot of destruction in our relationship. Um, Shauna already mentioned um, you know twenty three years ago um, you know I had asked for a divorce and, and followed through with it and. And as I look back, um, you know, people would say, well, you know, did, did you guys just, you know, not like each other? Did you, you know, what was the problem? And, and the reality was I was overwhelmed. Mm. Um, we had a one-year-old child at the time. Um, I was looking at, you know, this thing called marriage that I didn't know how to do that. Um, and I was really, really just you know, as, as I look back, I was, you know, in my autism, I was overloaded. It was, you know, from all of those components. And so a few years later, um, I had asked to, to date and to, to remarry and, and we did and, you know, thought, okay, I've, I've got enough tools through counseling and that to, to figure this out again. And, and we gave it a try. And, and then in, in our second marriage, uh, there was infidelity in there with, um, you know, again, trying to cope and, and, and navigate just a whole whirlwind of emotions that, that I was um, just experiencing in, in a relationship of, of how is this supposed to look and what am I supposed to do? 
And, and then having that neurodiversity component to it that I didn't know at the time, um, really left me struggling in, in a lot of ways. And, and that, that, that caused really just a, a lot of trauma and neglect and an emotional abandonment for Shauna that, that just created a lot of headaches for us mm -hmm. as, as I was trying to cope with, without knowing what was really, you know, going on. Yeah. Thank you, first of all, for sharing and being so vulnerable in that area, because I will tell you, there are a lot of couples, you know, who go through that period. But when neurodiverse couples go through, you know, infidelity or betrayal, it oftentimes has to do with something else because they don't know they're a neurodiverse couple. And I know it's sometimes hard to admit that, but I know there are a lot of couples that have healed and moved on and been even stronger in their relationship. And so I know you all move past that. So I'd love to hear, Shauna, what do you think, you know, before diagnosis, what were the hardest parts for you? Um, yeah, even just hearing Kevin share that, I think, you know, the faithfulness was so important in, in this journey. And so we had spent a lot of time in therapy and together and individually, some that was helpful and some that was not. Um, and the infidelity being almost 14 years ago now. So that was six years into our second marriage, um, where it almost ended in divorce again. Um, some of the hardest parts were, you know, giving him another chance and wondering if this behavior was intentional or unintentional. Mm. Uh, I thought, wow, you had another chance. And, you know, obviously we were trying to make this work and, and didn't have 25 years of a neurodiverse lens. Um, and so I think, gosh, even just talking about it now, like, brings up the emotion of, you know, it just reminds me of even four months ago when Kevin got his diagnosis, one of the things that happened, can I share that? Yeah. <laughs> we might tear up here. <laughs> That's um, okay. But one of the things that happened when we got the clinician was on, um, on the phone and we had a speaker call to get his diagnosis was the um, final call. And after we hung up, I was speechless. Um, and that's a rarity. <laughs> I usually have a lot of words, um, but I was speechless and Kevin just put his head in his hands and just dropped his head into his hands and said, it could have looked so different. Wow. It could have looked so different. I'm so sorry. Um, and I know that the sorry was more around, you know, it wasn't, a shaming sorry on himself. You can speak for yourself, but I just mm -hmm. felt like it was so heartfelt that we were both so sad and sorry that, you know, that this wasn't something we knew sooner because it did cause a lot of heartache and Kevin will share it. It was never an excuse to be unfaithful. Right. right. And, you know? and, and, and that's a, a really important thing that, um, that I want to share and, and, and hope people hear is that um, a, a, a neurodiverse, uh, a neurodiversity and a diagnosis of autism and, and that um, it, it does not in any way, shape or form excuse any behavior. Um, it helps explain perhaps it, it helps shed a little understanding maybe as to circumstances of why um, but we, whether we're neurodiverse or neurotypical, we all have a responsibility in our own choices, um, and, and having that responsibility. So I, I just want to be, be really, you know, blunt in that, that, you know, my neurodiverse diagnosis does not in any way, shape or form, excuse, justify, minimize the, the, the damage and pain that I've, I've caused as a result of, of not knowing and, and even today as a result of knowing too. Right. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin, because I'm sure listeners, especially if they're listening with their partner, they're going to be saying, you know, thank you so much for saying that, you know, I don't think any mental health issue or neurological difference is an excuse for abuse. 
Mm-hmm. However, what you're saying is also something we need to think about, you know, understanding, you know, when your partner is, for me, you know, I suffered from depression after our daughter was born, really, really, really horrible postpartum depression, cried every day for two years. And I never wanted to go on medication because of the shame, you know, I was a social work, social worker, I was getting my PhD, I thought, you know, I can handle this on my own. Just like I'm sure many neurodiverse couples who are dealing with unknown neurodiversity think, oh, we can handle this on our own. We'll find another therapist. And no, if you don't know the root cause of what you're dealing with, you probably aren't going to be able to handle it on your own. You know, you're going to need some help, whether it's medical intervention, medication, or therapy. And then once you get the help, there also has to be a healing process. And I feel like, you know, that is something that not all couples get through Mm -hmm. together, but they may be able to do it individually. And then to be able to come through the healing and be able to forgive and to, to transform the relationship, which it sounds like you guys, you know, you're in the process of doing. And it, it, it could take the rest of your life, you know, because you never know, you know, what, what's going to come up now that you know. And it hasn't been that long. Yeah. So any thoughts on that? And then I want to talk a little bit about the formal diagnosis. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think, as you say, it doesn't excuse behaviors. I'd even add destructive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't excuse those, like you said, Mona. And I think, you know, we'll talk about that, too, because there's been a difference um, for us when the behaviors have been neglectful or abusive, in a sense. And I know that word is kind of a buzzword these days, but, it, you know, we'll explain that, what it meant to us. Um, but being in community with others, I, I just want to say that, you know, getting through the betrayal trauma, now that I know, you know, some of the roots of it, I did need to walk that out when I didn't know about the neurodiversity. And now that I know about the neurodiversity, like I needed community through each of those very tough seasons. This actually feels like a sweeter season of knowing um, to us currently because of all that's happened. And so I know community has been huge for you too, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, so, when, when yeah. you spend so much of your life trying to, you know, from a neurodiverse side, trying to be neurotypical and fit in, you know, having community that just, you know, accepts the neurodiversity is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really why I started neurodiverse love. Thank you both for sharing that because you know, when I found out in two, 2017 that we were in a neurodiverse marriage, I sought out Grace Myhill. She was like the only mm-hmm. one who was doing online support groups. And it was so wonderful to hear from others, mostly women, but some men who were literally talking about their relationships. And I swear they were flies on the wall of my home. So, <laughs> you know, it's like fantastic. And that's why they're couples groups. Yeah. It's so wonderful to know you're not alone, but you still need help to go through that healing process and the forgiveness process and getting to a point of acceptance of yourself and the relationship if you're going to continue to move forward in it. So I'd love for you to share kind of what led you to getting the formal diagnosis. And maybe, Kevin, you can start a little bit. You've shared a little bit about that. Um, Is there anything else that kind of moved you in that direction? You know, I I think for me, um, you know, that that weekend after, you know, kind of our our um, explosion, you know, time and that um, and I had listened to the podcast um, I immediately jumped in and started doing a bunch of online assessments. And, and he did at- self-diagnose <laughs> first. Let's be real. Yeah, we, we did self-diagnose first. We were like 99% sure. So no. uh, you kind of had white papers out. Okay, I don't want to see your story. But- <laughs> no, and and that was, um, you know, that was that was both. It, that was kind of a both and for me, where it was. Um, it, in a way exciting to see that there was a diagnosis that was starting to fit. But at the same time, it was also, oh, there's a diagnosis that's starting to fit. Mm-hmm. And navigating that um, and, and recognizing, you know, a lot of the things that, that I had worked on, as Shauna had mentioned, 
you know, 14 years of recovery, um, I think really put a different approach to how I went about um, going after the neurodiversity and the diagnosis and really looking at the areas of all of the other kind of co-occurring things that have been going on through addiction and that with lying and and emotional neglect and covert abuse and and all of those things that that have been going on and and then now being able to look at those in, with a lens and a light that that really what i often say is it, it connected the dots for me mm. Oh my gosh. I think that that is a perfect way to describe it. It does connect the dots Mm -hmm. because each of those things that you talked about could, you know, there's probably either a DSM diagnosis for just about everything a, a person who's autistic and doesn't know can experience. And that's why so many people get other diagnoses or multiple diagnoses before Mm -hmm. they find out they're autistic. But there's one area that you mentioned that I've never really talked about on the podcast, Kevin. So I'd love if you could give an example. And that's the lying piece. And that went on in my marriage. Mm -hmm. It really went on in the separation. And we were separated for two and a half years. And now I know why the lying was about self-protection because my ex was very conflict avoidant. Not everybody is, but he was. So he would literally lie to me. I realized in our marriage, not big lies, but he would lie because he didn't want the wrath of Mona. And I understand that now, but can you speak at all to the lying? Like maybe even give an example or two and maybe what was underneath it? Yeah. And, and for me, as, as I look at lying in, in my life and as I look back, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I've done a lot of work in this. I can go back to childhood and find times, you know, in childhood that I was lying to either fit in or to um, um, deflect or to um, protect self really more than anything. And then Fast forward, you know, through the years and then into a relationship, um, it, it really, a lot of the, the lying came as, as a part of that not, not being secure with self mm-hmm. and having, again, to lie, to um, defend or to protect or to deflect um, all of those um kind of play into that. And, and I think that, again, without having that secure sense of self and, and not having a diagnosis and not knowing kind of what, what made me tick for so many years, um, really that, that line became automatic and, and a coping and response mechanism in and of itself. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that was that was a big part of my recovery work to, to dive into that and to really see the root underneath that of what what was the reasoning and, and the, the rationale behind lying, you know, and, and sometimes I would get caught or sometimes sometimes I wouldn't get caught and and would think, OK, well, that that made that situation better in, in whatever whatever the situation was, maybe it was you know, at a, at a party or something like that with family and friends or whatever. And then sometimes I would get caught and that's really was interesting because there was oftentimes maybe not even the um, emotional attunement to recognize mm-hmm. the impact of the lying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things for me at least, and, and I know you've said this on the, the podcast as, as well, many times, once you've met one autistic, you've met one autistic. Um, because how, how all of the characteristics manifest in individuals is really unique. And so for me though, that lying, um, really became automatic, um, through the process. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I want to hear your thoughts too, Shauna. Mm -hmm. I do want to say Mm -hmm. one thing, and I think this is going to be really helpful to the listeners and it's just kind of reiterating what you said 
the self-protection piece, you know, um, that emotional safety that may not be or may have never been a part of your life when you did not know you were autistic. And it, it does become a coping mechanism or coping skill that isn't healthy, but you don't maybe know any other way to be. And I remember catching my ex in, you know, small white lies and, um, and, and, and the emotional attunement piece is really critical too. Mm -hmm. He didn't sometimes understand why I was so upset that he didn't tell me the truth because he came clean. Now it might be something as simple as, you know, why didn't you pick up the, you know, milk from the grocery store? I'm just, you know, something really <laughs> simple. And he would say, Oh, you know, you didn't text me. Or, oh, you didn't tell me or whatever. Nowadays, you know, if I texted him, it would be in his phone, but, um, you know, it was something simple like that. And he didn't understand that repeatedly doing that, created a lack of trust mm -hmm. and so being able to acknowledge especially when you know that you're autistic that it wasn't in an attempt to hurt your partner or to outright lie so that you could um, deceive them as much as it was a self-protective mechanism does that make sense Ab absolutely you know i mean okay. there were times shauna would say to me you know why did you lie about that yeah and i would yeah. say I have, I have no idea. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> That's the fly on the wall of my home, Kevin. <laughs> that was the response often. And again, I don't blame my ex. Mm -hmm. I just understand now. Mm -hmm. So, so thank you so much for that. I know that's going to be a big aha for a lot of folks. What about you, Shauna? What was the biggest thing that impacted you with the formal diagnosis? Um, I think for me, and I love this conversation about the lying, um, I, I'll circle back on that in a minute, but okay. I think the, um, the most impactful thing, like I said, I welcomed it, um, because of the level of therapy and coaching and recovery and mentorship and sponsorship, <laughs> name it all, we yeah. have all the people in our world. Um, but when I heard some of the things that, were such validation to me because one of one of the things that Kevin, you know, in that deflection was a lot of defense. Um, and it was a lot of almost like I was the enemy because I was pointing these things out to him. Um, and so when I heard things like, yep, he does have a high level, you know, kind of some of the subcategories of avoidance and aggression and grandiose thinking um, that they were part of the autism, I literally could exhale. It was like, oh my gosh, that, yes, I, I knew that. I knew that reality, but no one really knows unless you're in it. Mm -hmm. um, and that was so big for me. Um, and also it helped me rule out, <laughs> I researched lots of different ones. Autism <laughs> was not on the list. It never, it never was something, but you mentioned avoidant you know, attachment. And I thought, is this avoidant attachment disorder? Is it that far? I knew he had an avoidant attachment. I had a little more anxious that moved to a little bit more secure. Um, is this narcissistic personality disorder? Is this, I mean, and I would just go, is this, is this, is this? right. <laughs> we were literally just, I mean, you know, it was less than a year ago, we sat down and we're like, you know, oh, what could this be? Like, I feel like everything's getting rolled out. Um, and so I think that's where it really was validating for me the most. Okay. And I, I, I so appreciate that because again, I have met or talked to or heard from probably now close to a thousand people in the last two and a half years. And I can't tell you how many of them tell their story the way you just mentioned that Shauna, mm -hmm. you know, my partner's been diagnosed with this, or they think they have this or what have you. And it's all tied up yep. in autism because the avoidant attachment, yep. it's because of self-protection, right? Yep. I mean, it's what Kevin was talking about, the narcissistic personality, or it looks like that. Again, it's, it's self-protection. It's having to do certain things to fit in or because of sensory, you know, sensitivities or some kind of emotional overload or what have you. It makes 
such a difference to understand the neurological differences. So do you want to talk a little bit more about the lying piece? Because it sounded like you had something else you wanted to share. Yeah, I just want to, I love how this ties in even to, um, you know, when I think of like narcissism and think of like, wow, that really is self-focused. Well, lying doesn't really think of other people either. So you could call it a lot of different things. The tendencies were what was leading me to those things because of, you know, he was lying, but I was feeling the impact of the deception. Yes. That was what hurt that, you know, the fact that he was lying, I never owned his lying. I thought, just like you said about the milk, I was like, you just told me you ate three potato chips. I saw you eat five. Like what? Right. I said, why are you lying about the potato chips? Like what is going on? Why would you lie about the potato chips? Our children don't lie about potato chips. Um, and so anyways, it was, it was the impact of the deception. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love the way you phrase that. And, and I can just imagine if I were looking at you both, which I'm not Kevin shaking his head, right. <laughs> yep. You know, I, I can just imagine it because you don't realize the impact of the deception. You don't realize the, the way the trust is literally circling the drain and about to like go down very, very rapidly. And you think because it's a, just a coping skill or it's just the way you've always done it in every type of relationship you've had you know, your wife really, or your partner doesn't really have anything to forgive you for. But meanwhile, the trust is just, you know, really, really uh, deflating. And and I think that was the biggest issue for me. That was yeah. what broke me. I completely stopped trusting my ex-husband and it had nothing to do with infidelity. It had yeah. to do with communication. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of folks. So thank you again for being so open and honest. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, some behaviors becoming abusive. I know you've mentioned some, Kevin. Is there anything else that you want to share around what that looked like um, before? And yeah, what what realizations you had? Yeah, you know, I mean, I I think um, you know really from an autistic viewpoint, when, when I first heard, you know, the definition of, of abuse, right. Um, I would go to the very literal, you know, black and white definition, right. Right. Like, what, what, I'm abusing it. Like, r- really, are you kidding? Like, I'm not abusing you. Right. I, I might be being rude to you. I might be being critical of you. I'm, I might've talked down to, you know, but I'm not abusing you. Right. Um, and I think that's several things. I think one is that, you know, I was certainly defensive of myself and didn't want to be, you know, labeled as, you know, the abuser, you know? Right. Um, and, and I think that one of the, and, and, and I'm just going to speak as a, as a male, you know, I think that society has defined often the definition of abuse in, in a very, misguided way often. And Mm -hmm. um, there are, um, for me, you know, there wasn't the, you know, physical, you know, Shauna often sometimes would say, you know, I wish you would hit me, right? Like, let me, let me, you know, because you're, you're abusing me just the same. And the, when I look at the autism component, um, the things that I express are the, the rigid thinking, um, the sensory avoidance, the um, missing of attunement, and those types of things, um, that really became, that's what really started to come out sideways. So in my rigid thinking, I would become very critical of Shauna um, when my environment wasn't conducive to, to me being regulated. Um, I would avoid her if I was overstimulated. Um, but instead of saying, hey, I'm like this environment is, is I, I need to step out for a minute. This is, you know, starting to kind of dysregulate me. Um, I, I would blame her and, and make it about her um, versus taking responsibility for myself. So, you know, again, there's that great word that'll get thrown out gaslighting. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I would gaslight her and, and that would often be a, a defense approach and, and blaming her. 
and then really the the misattunement to to her needs um and in, instead of listening to her and what she would need um in my struggle of of attuning and recognizing that i would begin to defend myself because you know i would hear things from Hashana that you know um i really wish that you could you know just be here with me right now and just be present with me right and i would hear that as failure and and i'm falling short and i you know um can't can't do this and can't do that right um and so we have a lot of misconnections because mm-hmm. of that and a lot of that that's where i i say that covert abuse right it wasn't the the overt it was the you know the covert and and kind of like you said too back to the lying not intentional i mean i love right. my wife i i don't i don't want to be you know abusing my wife and causing trauma to her um and, and many of those were done without the awareness. Right. Oh, my gosh. Again, I think what you just said, Kevin, is going to hit home for so many couples and especially for the autistic partners, because I remember um, my ex saying to me, he couldn't understand how I felt so lonely in our marriage and a few other things that I had shared and he, I remember him saying this, I never have cheated on you. I never have hit you and something else. And I'm like, is that the only thing or are those the only things that you think, you know, make up a successful or healthy relationship? And it really was that black and white for him. And I remember him saying something about, you know, this was a contract and I was going to fulfill the contract. Well, you know, marriage, yes, you sign on the dotted line, but it's not a business contract that once you fulfilled, and I, I'm not laughing at him. I'm just, I'm just laughing at the misattunements, the miscommunication that we have when we don't know that we're a neurodiverse couple. And, you know, one of the things you said earlier, Shauna, was that you felt like you were the enemy. Mm-hmm. And I think that for a lot of couples that I hear that often, and I know that went on in my own marriage. So before you talk a little bit about the abuse piece through your lens, do you want to talk at all about the enemy piece? How, you know, either you thought Kevin thought you were the enemy or you thought you were the enemy? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, he, he validated it at one point. We actually, um, interestingly, we met with another couple and, um, you know, really kind of agreed with, yeah, I do think you're against me. I do think you're attacking me. I do think you're, you know, in naming all these things that I was potentially doing to him. Um, and, you know, so much of it, though we had the betrayal and the infidelity, you know, almost 14 years ago, so much of that deprivation that you're talking about, because I think there was so much, well, well, I'm doing this, I'm providing, I'm bringing this, I'm, you know, to the family or whatever it might be. Um, But I really had just this, it's almost um, just a sense of like, I'm on your team. Like, I'm not your enemy. And, and he would almost look at me times like, yeah, you are. And I don't know if you ever, I don't know if you ever actually said it, but it, it was like breathing it, you know, like, yeah. um, yeah, you are. Yeah. I can tell you are because the defense was so high. I couldn't break through. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. And I didn't know to not keep pushing through. Mm. <laughs> I didn't know. And I know you've talked about the, anger. I can relate to the anger. Cause it was like, if I get louder, maybe, you know, he'll hear me or, you know, if I break through that barrier that he'll know I love him, he'll know I accept him. Um, but it was, it was hard for him to see. And yeah. I think that's, you know, that does kind of tie into this abusive piece because I think it's coming together, these abusive tendencies that can stem from his own, you know, childhood wounds into the neurodiversity, mix that all together. Um, and some of those things we're trying to recognize when is it the diversity and we say, Hey, that's your brain. This is my brain. And when is it the behaviors? Um, 
because I can set boundaries in unacceptable behaviors and say, "Mm -mm, that's not going to work for me. Yelling it isn't going to get it. (laughs) In fact, it'll make him run out of the room or the house or the car or the (laughs) hotel, name it. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Um, Though, so just acknowledging that um, was important. And I think there was a turning point where he was like, you are on my team. You Mm -hmm. love me. And this is just, you know, knowing this now um, has just, I think, allowed him to recognize, yeah, I'm not going anywhere because we know this. Like if you're willing to work and meet me in some of my needs and I'm willing to work and meet you in some of your needs, I think we can make this work. Mm, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's going to be so hopeful to so many couples out there. And, you know, you talked briefly about the anger piece and I want, this is a message to the non-autistic neurotypical partners. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to look at yourself in the mirror too. You know, you have to look at how are you communicating with your partner, even if they're not willing. And I say this over and over again, even if they're not willing or open to accept that they might be neurodivergent, if you and your heart and soul know there are neurological differences that are maybe the root of why you are having communication issues and emotional reciprocity issues and sensory issues, you know, now you know that, what can you do different if you're going to stay in the relationship? And I will tell you, one of the things my ex asked me when we were separated is he said, because he had lived alone for the first time, he said, I need you to stop screaming at me. Mm. (laughs) I screamed at him and I can laugh about it now, but it certainly wasn't funny. You know, I would not have wanted to be on the other side of Mona screaming. Um, And when he said that to me, I stopped. Believe me, I wanted to scream at him many times. (laughs) You know, I was never a thrower, a breaker of dishes or anything, but I was a screamer and I was a crier. And, but when he asked me, because I thought we were on the same team, I was happy to meet that need. But I know because so many folks who've been in neurodiverse relationships for years and years and years, and they felt no emotional safety. And this can be for both partners. Absolutely. It really feels just so vulnerable and so difficult to ask for your needs to be met. And I want to give, again, that message to both partners. Find a way to first understand your needs and then be able to ask your partner for what you need in the most kind and compassionate and loving way. And then hopefully you'll get some of the needs met that you weren't able to before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this conversation is so awesome. I want to talk about two more things. I want to talk about hope and some of the helpful things that have happened you know, as you have learned about each other and um, your neurological differences. So Shauna, I'd love to start with you. What do you think some of the things are that have helped the most that would be helpful for others to hear? Um, A couple of them are um, having some rhythms or routines around uh, a weekly check-in. Uh, we tried daily check-ins. That was a little too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I would have been all right with it. Um, but um, weekly check-ins, we've been doing that, a, a, you know, prior to knowing this diagnosis was there. And that has helped me so much. And it has allowed Kevin to help meet my needs, even though it's a little more formal. We have like a little template we follow. We're, we have it memorized now. So that's great. Um, a code word and we've actually increased our code words because they don't all mean the same thing Um, when we're seeing things totally opposite we call panda and that means like (laughs) you're seeing it in black I'm seeing it in white or whatever and we can usually drop it or we've used other words like monkey barrels there's a lot of things connecting here and there's a lot of monkeys hanging (laughs) from Mm. the barrel you know game yeah. Um, and one of the fresh words that Kevin has come up with that he wanted to switch, um, which I was totally open to, um, is a biblical word called azer. And it is it means helpmate or helper. And 
so that he can be reminded that I'm on his team, that I'm helping him when I say, hey, watch that tone or um, that sounds harsh. Um, when I give feedback or if I need to call the word, it means I'm giving you a cue. I'm out for a bit. <laughs> Here's some you know, prompts and then go take a look at that. Um, and so that's been helpful. And I think the last thing is we now, thanks to your help in writing things out and being in your group was so helpful for us. And one thing we experimented with, and now we can report back a little bit more that we started <laughs> a whiteboard in our room that has our goals on it, how we can love one another, outstanding conversations that need to happen because I'll remember them and he won't. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> <and laser> prompts <laughs> that I can write on the whiteboard and leave them on the whiteboard and just walk away. Um, so I don't keep pestering him and pursuing him anxiously. Um, and so those are probably my biggest, um, biggest takeaways of things like tangible things that have actually helped us most recently. Okay. I love all of it. As you know, I talk about all these things in the support group. And yeah. I just want to tell folks that you may try it for a week and you may both fall flat on your face. This isn't just a one time and done. Yeah. You know, you need to, I mean, you, you guys try. have known for four months, but that's not a long time. And so, you know, starting with one thing like the weekly check-in. And I know it sounds so formal to have that template or agenda but I can't tell you how many people say it is helpful because both partners can prepare. Yeah. And I think for oftentimes for, for the autistic partner, it's really helpful because you know, you're not going to get bombarded with all these things that your partner's been like storing up in their brain. And at least you know what you're going to be addressing and to do it. If weekly is too much, do it every other week, whatever. Mm -hmm. We've and tried I a lot of ways. Yes, <laughs> we have tried. And yeah. we, this was one, the weekly check-in is one that we've just now, would you say, kind yeah. of gotten in a good rhythm? I think so. And I, um, I, I'd like to add one thing to that. Yeah, uh, go ahead. And, and that is that um, when you're starting this out for the first time, for the uh, and, I, and I will speak to the neurotypicals, um, have some grace, <laughs> be, be prepared. Um, I... I dropped the book. So our weekly check-ins was, was kind of the ball was in my court for those. And, and I dropped the ball um, consistently for, <laughs> for a while before it, it became hardwired. And, and it wasn't, and, and I would just encourage those that, that might be trying this and, you know, he said he was going to do it on Saturday and it, and it didn't happen. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it wasn't that, I didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. It was my mind was going a thousand different directions on a Saturday. And that wasn't one of the things I was thinking about. Right. Yep. And I know a lot of times, um, you know, Shauna might even say, but you don't miss your meetings at work. You don't miss. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't miss these other, what you call important things. Why does this continue to fall off the plate? And, and I didn't have a good answer for that. And I, I actually still really don't other than it just it's happens. in the calendar now <laughs> <laughs> a weekly recurring appointment yes but it'll, but it'll still get forgotten sometimes it will and, yes, and, yes, and it's not intentional and so have a little grace um if you're the neurotypical you know don't take it personally <laughs> a, a gentle little reminder you know um because shauna might say Hey, so were we still checking in this weekend? I'd be like, oh yes, let's do that. Right. Mm -hmm. so. uh, and Kevin, I love that you gave that advice to mm -hmm. us non-autistic folks because the grace piece is beyond critical yeah. because I will tell you, you know, you never know when the routine or the new way of doing things is just going to it's just going to flow. And even when it's flowing, let's say for six months, a year, you've been doing it. When there's a change in another area of your life, that may, because it's, it's just something, you know, has been happening and it's flowing, maybe something that drops off the list of things that become a priority. 
but it's it's I think it's both partners responsibility to with kindness and love say you know this is really important to me and I want to keep doing it is there you know do we need to change the day do we need to change the time do we need to change how often and the same thing with code words I love that you picked that new word that means helper you know that's so awesome I love that I love that so what about you Kevin what do you feel outside of what Shauna said are the most hope hopeful and helpful things since you've gotten the diagnosis yeah and and I think it kind of goes to what you were saying about that grace piece right it's it's giving grace for the things that that grace you know can be given for but but acknowledging the behaviors and and separating the the brain reaction versus the the behavioral response right and and really being able to so, so now I'm, I'm working to say, gosh, you know what? I'm sorry. That, that was my brain. Can, can, can we try that again? Right. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. That was my brain. I really, I really do want to hear what you had to say. Um, and so kind of acknowledging the, the difference between, between that. Um, the other thing too, is we, um, with those co-words, we've also just kind of done away with abstract words, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, um, is, you know, is that a, uh, a whatchamacallit, a whatchamacallit, <laughs> what, what do you mean a whatchamacallit, right? <laughs> and then we're off on a tangent about what a whatchamacallit is, right? And so now it's kind of just say, forget it, like, you know, let's, you know, and, and I think it kind of goes back to what we were saying about being on my team. I think for so long, um, when we fight about being on my team, I think being on my team means that you understand what I'm saying. Um, Mm -hmm. and you may not, and you can still be on my team and, and you may not. And I, you know, as as a guy, I play sports, right. You know, a pitcher is not going to be a catcher and a catcher is not going to be a pitcher, right. Right. they don't get each other's position yet they're on the same team and that can can often be how we are i love that that's a perfect analogy not everybody has to play the same um thing on the on the team i'm not a sports person right. but not everybody's playing the same role but without every team member understanding each other's roles you can't be a winning team right. you just can't you can't. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love it. And I know, you know, you've both gone through um, therapy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember a conversation we had about um, calculating how much was spent on therapy. <laughs> oh, yes. oh, if we would have known. <laughs> you could have bought, you could have bought a brand new house. Yeah. So, I know you guys are not alone in that because this is the difference, I think, for so many neurodiverse couples that find out about unknown neurodiversity. You love each other. You've always loved each other. It has never been about not loving each other. And I've said this when I talked about my ex and I deciding to divorce. We literally sat outside the courthouse before going in to file our divorce papers and cried and hugged each other and talked about how much we loved each other that's effed up you know (laughs) but but, you know um i i hear it over and over again from couples and i do think that so much of this will be helpful to a lot of folks as they're listening and they're like being being like torn apart almost emotionally because they're like i want i want my partner to listen to this and and learn Mm -hmm. so um let's talk about how you guys are giving back now because um one piece is i'm so thankful you agreed to come on the podcast Mm -hmm. so how are you giving back each of you and what does that look like for you now yeah i'll i'll go first i think mine's a, a little shorter but i've um been involved with um, a recovery ministry for um, really ever ever since I got into uh, recovery uh, 14 years ago. And so through that, I've led um, step study groups and um, led, led some groups with um, guys that are, are looking at past trauma in their lives and past abuse in their lives. Um, so I've done some um, peer leading through those groups as well for guys, um, a- as well as been a participant over the years. Um, and then most recently have started just doing some mentoring work 
um, with guys that are working through um, either uh, sexual addictions, um, love addictions, and now looking at some neurodiversity lenses to that as well. So I think the, the one thing we had mentioned earlier is just that community, um, really just staying involved and, and engaged for that. You know, neurodiversity is something that we're going to have as a part of our story and our relationship until it's, it's over. Um, and until we're, we're no longer here on this earth because it's who I am um, and, and I can't change that. Um, so we just get to work with it. And so that's the encouraging part for me. That's beautiful. And I think the community piece is so critical. And for all of those that are listening, if you do not have a community, whether you're the autistic partner or the neurotypical or non-autistic partner, because a lot of neurotypical partners, like I always say, I have a lot of ADHD traits. You know, I've dealt with depression for most of my adult life. You know, there's other stuff that you're going through. Find that community. And just as a reminder to the listeners, I offer two free support groups for the non-autistic neurotypical partners every month. So you're absolutely welcome to reach out to me about those. So thank you, Kevin. Thank you for, you know, your service and for giving back because not everybody does when they've gone through their healing. So I really appreciate that you shared that. And what about you, Shauna? I know you're working on a few things too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've been actually a certified professional coach for a little over five years in the field of betrayal trauma Um, which is just, it's so fulfilling um, for me, leading groups and individuals. I mainly work with the the partners that have had betrayal. And now I I can't tell you how how much this has opened my eyes um, and incorporating the neurodiversity lens with this, um, with with the betrayal and even without betrayal. um, So many conversations have been coming up um, and I've begun, uh, my AANE training and will certification this year. So with Grace Myhill, so doing that and super excited. Um, I just really believe that there is a big gap, um, in understanding around neurodiversity, um, especially with the autism lens, we hear a good bit more of ADHD, um, in the field um, for those recovering from an addiction, but we were not really yet hearing, um, you know, the spectrum disorders and things like that. And I think we're just on the cusp of really helping individuals and couples know better so they can do better in their relationships. And that goes for both sides. Amen. Amen. I'm raising both hands. Amen. Because thank you again, Shauna, too, for all you're doing to give back. And I know you're going to help both of you are helping people, so many people, and you're going to help so many more adding the neurodiverse lens piece. I always, I always like to end with, with something. um, Well, not always, but sometimes I like to end with this question. And I think it's a good one for you. And it's not one we talked about before. So if you don't want to answer, you're free to say that you don't want to answer. But, you know, if you could go back in time to the first marriage, Mm -hmm. and you could tell your younger selves, one or two things that you think would be helpful to the listeners, who are just now finding out that they're a neurodiverse couple or one partner, you know, is doing what you did, Shauna, and listening to a podcast and going, oh my gosh, that's my partner. That's my partner. Uh-huh. Um, what would you, what would you tell your younger self? And either one of you can start. Hmm. You have anything? I have something. Go for it. Okay. Um, first of all, I know we were kind of joking about it, um, but finding the appropriate support. Mm. Um, thankfully we didn't have a lot of harm, um, in our church or in our therapy or coaching, but we did have a lot that wasn't helpful. Mm -hmm. So that is a really big piece. Um, and I think humility for me, um, you know, recognizing, even though I was neurotypical, I thought, what is wrong with him? Like, and I know that sounds awful. No. Say now, but I just, I thought, gosh, I just wasn't around it 
enough that I was even aware. So there was, you know, more judgment than I would like. So I think just reminding myself that humility goes a long way. Um, and that I can take a look at, you know, my role early on as well. Mm, thank you, Shona. Yeah. Thank you. What about you, Kevin? Anything you want to share? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, um, I, I would have certainly told my, my younger self and, and that lost person to, to not, not be afraid and to be open to, um, a diagnosis or to, um, you know, if, if the shoe fits, then, then it's probably your shoe. And, mm -hmm. and I think that, um, you know, some people that I've talked to that have asked me about having a formal diagnosis of autism, um, you know, how I feel about that and, and how I feel about that is that it's, it, it, I'm choosing to have it be something that's very empowering for me. Um, knowing and having answers allows me the ability to choose differently and to make change that um, can, can make a difference. And so being, you know, not being prideful in that and, and being open and humble in whether it's a formal diagnosis or working with, you know, a therapist to take some assessments or even if it's just working with your partner that, you know, knowing that if someone's asking you this, they're, they're probably asking you because they love you and care about you and, and want to support you, not throw you under the bus. Mm, you just you're making me tear up mm. wow yeah I want I really want people to hear that mm -hmm. because I, I thank you both so much you know the humility piece Shauna and the empowerment piece Kevin because once you know who you are it's all about self-awareness whether you're neurodiverse or neurotypical have mental health issues, addictions, whatever. Once you know the root cause of your struggling, then you can begin a new journey. I really do feel that each person can go through a transformation. But if you don't know yourself because you're not willing to be open, there's just so much suffering. And hurt, unintentional hurt and pain. I say that all the time on the podcast. Yep. So I cannot thank you both enough. I, I'm just so, so grateful that you agreed to come on the podcast and to share so much of your story so openly. Um, I hope that the two of you take this on the road. Seriously. <laughs> I hope that you share with the world this is just the beginning and I don't know if either one of you have a um, a website Instagram account or any place that people can contact you or would you rather that they just contact me and I put you in touch with them what would you prefer because I know people are going to want to reach out to both of you <laughs> yeah they can definitely uh, reach out through livingstonescoaching.com so it's stones, plural, livingstonescoaching.com or email me directly. And then I'll make sure Kevin gets it if someone wants to reach out um, as well. So it's Shauna, S-H-A-W-N-A at livingstonescoaching.com. And then there's a contact page on the website. Um, and I am writing, Mona. So it's Yay. been an encouragement. Uh, there's some conversations with publishing, self-publishing, what that's going to look like. So... <laughs> I'm excited to, you know, just be able to share this if it helps, you know, just like you started this, if it can help another couple that that's our hope and our prayer of really just being able to help others to not feel alone in this journey too. So that's where yeah. they can reach us. And thank you make Mona, sure. for, for everything that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. It's just been a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you both. And I wish you all the best as you continue on your individual journeys and your journey as a couple. Thank you both. Thank you, Thank Mona. You. Take care. Appreciate it. Take care.